last time I was sharing here, which was a couple of weeks ago, I started by inviting us to reflect on the final words of Romans 11. And uh, that was where we'd left off. Uh, the, the, the previous sermon that I'd preached, and I wanted us to start there, where it speaks of the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and inscrutable, beyond tracing out, beyond figuring out, his ways are. And we were just seeking to acknowledge our need of God when dealing with some hard topics, either in the scriptures or in life, whatever we are going through at that time. That's always a good place to start. I think I said that a couple of weeks ago that, you know, wherever you're at, like to to come uh, with that little section of Romans chapter 11, it's always a good place to start in terms of our heart disposition as we come to God's Word. But I also want to say that one of the most wonderful things about the Scriptures is that, yes, some bits can be very challenging, including, to to be honest, our main passage today. Uh, God's ways are not always easy for us to see and to make sense of, but there are other parts of the Bible where sometimes things are just crystal clear, where what God is saying to us is stated as plainly and as simply as you could ever hope for. Now, that doesn't necessarily make the embrace of those words, of that call, of of that reality. It doesn't necessarily make that any easier. And it certainly shouldn't change the way that we would approach God in terms of our humble posture and and things like that. But I don't know about you, but for simple little me, I am so thankful that some passages just make things so clear. One such passage is towards the end of John's gospel. And I would invite you to turn to John chapter 20. Uh, As you may know, we are starting a new series here today, just journeying through the gospel of John. And uh, you can hear me now. I I, I feel like my voice is coming out of the speakers more clearly now. So that's good. Thanks, gang. Um, And uh, I don't know about you, but I am just so excited just to spend some months, I don't know how many, just to let you know, it could be a number of months, uh, just to spend some months with Jesus, seeing him, hearing him, observing him, exploring him and his mission and pondering together as the people of God and hopefully people who are maybe not yet part of that number, maybe just exploring who Christ is, exploring what faith is, exploring what the mission of Jesus is pondering these things together, the good news of Jesus. And as we come to a new book, we should ask the question, what is this book trying to do? What is going on here? Why was it written? And in chapter 20 of John's gospel, we have such a clear answer to that question. So from verse 30 of John 20, listen to what John writes. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And then just hold that thought and turn over a page or or scroll down to the next chapter. And the very last verse of the Gospel of John, I love it. He just finishes by saying, hey, just so you know, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books 
that would be written. I love that. So back to John chapter 20, verse 31. Many other things not written in this book, but these are written. Here's, here's the point of it all. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So why was John's gospel written? That you may, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the, the chosen Messiah, the, the one anointed and sent of God to, to bring God's reign and God's restoration, to believe that he's the, the Christ, the Son of God, and that in doing that, in believing these things, that you may have life in his name. So in one sense, I have to say that I, I kind of hope that at the end of every sermon through John, there will be a, a question and an invitation. The question will be, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do you really believe that? Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you can look back to a moment where you made a decision and you remember that, but are you believing that in reality this week, just now, where, where you're at? Or maybe for the very first time, do you believe that Jesus is the one sent by God to rescue this world, that he's the son of God? On the, on the basis of the verses that we've been looking at for that week, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the fullness of all that even for today? Do you believe? And then if so, the invitation, receive his life. Step into the life in Jesus that is yours through this embrace of who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, I, I, I want you to know, I'm, we're not going to put it exactly like that every single week with that question and that invitation. You know, it's not like John puts a little asterisk, uh, the asterisk, there's not, not asterisk, the gall, the comic book. He, I'm, I'm talking about an asterisk uh, at the end of every section where he says, you know, just to remind you to go to John chapter 20, verse 31, to figure out what all this is about. But I, I do just love how plainly this is laid out for us to hear. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Then know that in and through believing in him, you, you have life in him, in his name. Now, thinking of that name, let's turn right back to the start of John's gospel. We are introduced to Jesus and the name that he has given in the first few verses uh, of John's gospel is very unique. Let's read just the first five verses. Scott's going to pick it up from verse six next week. This is God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Jesus is the word. That's the Greek word logos, many of you will know. Jesus is only referred to as logos, as the word, a handful of times, four times here in chapter 1 of John. Uh, it takes until actually verse 14 uh, before it's, it's clear that John is definitely referring to Jesus as being the Word. Uh, once in Revelation chapter 19, 
uh, he's referred to that way. And then at the start of John's first letter, this is, these are the very first words that he writes. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus. Now, John, in starting his gospel like this, immediately invites us right into the deep end to not just dip our toes in who Jesus might be, but to dive into the wonder of who this Christ, this Son of God, this Jesus is. And the use of this title for Jesus is a very striking way to do that. This name, this idea of logos, the word, it was very significant to the various different types of readers of John's gospel, both Jewish people, those part of God's ancient covenant people, Israel, and also Greeks, uh, those saturated in Greco-Roman ways of thinking and living, people of John's day. For, for both of these groups, John calling Jesus the word immediately would highlight this is no normal person. Remember, he's writing so that people will believe in Jesus. And he's wanting to flag straight away, this is who I'm talking about you needing to believe in. So when you think of John's Jewish readers, they would likely recognize straight away what John was doing. Perhaps, perhaps not be too happy about it in many ways that Logos was here a reference to God. God's word was for Jewish people the way that he revealed himself to his people. This was God's word. So, for example, you know, you just look through the, the prophets, and if you type in, uh, thus says the Lord, or thus, you know, the word of the Lord came to me, or things like that, the word of the Lord is repeatedly spoken of by the prophets and heard by God's people as God's message, God's heart, God's revelation of him and his ways for his people. Secondly, in places like Psalm 119, we can see that this idea of God's word was not about the sharing of a single group of letters, but was used as a way to sum up all that God had spoken. So for example, in verse 11 of Psalm 119, we hear, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Or verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it's the way that God communicated with his people about who he was and what he desired. It was, uh, it was used to, to sum up the, the wholeness of what God had for his people. And then thirdly, this idea of God's word also spoke of God's creating power. So Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And especially when you add that to the way that John uses it here in verse one, where he says, in the beginning, the word, that calls us right back to the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the Bible, it's interesting, never, as far as I can figure out, directly argues, makes a case for the existence of God God is the most fundamental reality there is. So the Bible starts, in the beginning, God. So John here, in referring to Jesus as the Word, in the beginning was the Word, he immediately lifts Jesus up in this incredible way. And the Jewish readers would have known 
exactly what he was getting after. And then for everyone else, for the Greek readers, this word logos was also packed with meaning for them. So there was a, a Greek philosopher born about 500 years before Jesus called Heraclitus, and he used the word to describe something of, something of a force that would keep the, word, the world stable. So in a world of, of constant change and movement, for Heraclitus, logos was that which kept things stable and constant, a, a sort of unifying principle. He spoke of it being like, quote, the mind of God, controlling the world and everything in it. This was his idea of logos. Then later, there was a Jewish man from Alexandria, well-respected in Greek thinking, called Philo. And he lived and taught around the same time as Jesus. And he had a, a more developed concept of logos. For, for Philo, logos was something of an, an intermediary force between the heavenly places, between God and the world. So John then is using this idea as a really provocative point of connection for the different readers of his gospel. And he's saying the word logos, this is Jesus. God's words are not just commands that, that come from God. God's word is embodied in a person. God's word has a name. And for you who may not like or have any concept of the idea of God speaking the word of God, but do know this idea of logos, John is saying, hear this. Logos is, is not just some philosophical stabilizing force. It's not just some standalone spiritual reality between different spiritual planes or realms. If you want to know how the world is truly held together, if you want to know how the world will truly find balance and stability, it's not in some abstract force. If you want to know how heaven meets earth, Logos is a person. Logos has a name. His name is Jesus. We don't get that from these first few verses. That comes later. But we already know the end, right? That this is written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What we do get in these verses is just the most incredible few words, really, about who this Logos is. Just three things we're going to touch on briefly before we close. We hear of his divine oneness. Secondly, his creating power. And thirdly, his illuminating life. First of all, thinking about Jesus' divinity. Kids uh, can sometimes prove extremely challenging when it comes to conversations about God, like a few of these scenarios. The Sunday school teacher was describing how Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And uh, when she was describing that, little Jason interrupted and said, my dad once turned back while he was driving and he turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> or a Sunday school teacher was telling her class the story of the Good Samaritan. She asked the class, if you saw a person lying on the roadside, all wounded and beaten up and bleeding, what would you do? And a thoughtful little girl broke the hus hushed silence. I think I would throw up, she said. Or a Sunday school teacher asked her class, does anyone here know what we mean by sins of omission? And a little boy replied, aren't those the sins that we should have committed, but didn't? 
we had our own uh, number of different funny scenarios in our family with things like this. One of them was when Jacob was a toddler, we'd put him down to bed, and then once he was asleep, uh, at one point we'd headed out for the evening, and uh, Kirsty McLeod was babysitting. Some of you will uh, know Kirsty. And after some time, uh, he had become unsettled. So Kirsty went up to check on him. But of course, we hadn't told him that we were going out. So he was a little confused in this moment. And Kirsty walks into the room. And Jacob looks up at Kirsty McLeod. And in a very solemn, serious way, says, Are you God? <laughs> Need to work on our teaching of ours. We were ongoing process of discipleship with our kids. Um, but the classic scenario with kids is when they make you feel like you need a PhD in theology to answer their questions. So one example would be with the endless why question. You know, why did that happen? And you tell them, you say, okay, yeah, yeah, but why did that happen? And why did this happen? And, and on it goes. And the same sort of thing can happen with where things came from. Where did I come from, daddy? Well, you came from your mummy's tummy. Well, where did mummy come from? Well, she came from her mummy's tummy. Well, where did mummy's mummy come from? And, and on you go until eventually you say, well, really, all people are made by God. And then comes the question, but where did God come from? Who made God? What was there before God was there? That's a good question. That is a question about what is most fundamental, foundational in the universe what is the most fundamental reality that I need to have a grasp of? That's what that little kid is, is asking. Because here for John, it's not about what is the most fundamental reality. It's about who is. He introduces us to Jesus in his gospel and he takes us right back before the foundation of the world. It's interesting, the different gospels start in different places. So Mark starts fairly suddenly with a prophecy about John the Baptist. Matthew eventually traces the, the genealogy of Jesus and goes back as far as Abraham. Luke, when he gets to Jesus' genealogy, he even goes back further to Adam, the very first human being. But John goes back even further. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know, in case you didn't get it in verse one, just underlines it for us there. Now, it's just incredible what is packed into these few verses. The content of these verses was right at the heart of many of the different councils in the early church as they grappled with the significance of these words and tried to understand who is this God? What does it mean? for us. Now we see here, we're just going to rush through it. We see a few things. First of all, Jesus always existed. We've looked at this already. Back to Genesis chapter 1-1. Just as God existed, so in that Jesus did. We see secondly that Jesus is distinct from God. Not in terms of his nature, but with regard to his personhood. He's distinct. The word was with God. And this, this is a beautiful concept here. That this word with, it points to the, the deepest kind of togetherness, closeness, withness. Uh, you, you could say that the word was toward God. Some have said the, the word was face to face with 
God. So there's this distinct reality of who Jesus is, but also complete oneness. And then thirdly, we see that the Word is Himself fully divine, fully God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the very nature of who Jesus is, completely one with God. Now, I told you, didn't I? I warned you that we'd have to keep that Romans 11 concept in our mind where we say, oh, wow, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We think of who this Jesus is. Now, one illustration, which I'll just share with you, because I, I, I find it a little bit helpful, but <laughs> I do say this a little hesitantly because no illustration is perfect. And to be honest, it's normally a bit of a yellow card for preachers to mention illustrations when you're talking about profound things like this, because no illustration can fully capture it. But we're all friends. I find it helpful. Maybe you will too. If you think of a clear glass basin filled with water, and imagine pouring some food coloring in. And what you see there is interesting in the sense that to some extent, the coloring is distinct from the water. You, you can see, in a sense, the unique shape and movement of the coloring, but you wouldn't say that it was separate from the water. It's, it's the deepest possible connection. That there's, there's no understanding now of the food coloring apart from the water. And just this picture of this oneness, this distinctness of Christ, but completely one with God. Like I say, it's not a perfect analogy, but the point here is that John is immediately laying before us this incredible view of who Jesus is, always existing, unique in personhood, deeply woven in unity with God and existing himself as God. This is who Jesus is in his oneness of divine nature with God as God. Secondly, Jesus creating power, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not only was Jesus not created, which we saw in verse 1, but it is only through the word of God that anything that has come to be comes to be. And we see this a number of times in the scripture. So cast your eye down a little bit to verse 10. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. That's like the third time John's made it really clear. Um, flick over or tap over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. Uh, and we see there in verse 8, another incredible little uh, capture of this relationship between God the Father and the Son in creation. Verse 6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Again, do you see this beautiful togetherness, but distinct realities of how this plays out? All things come from the Father and all things, they come through the Son. We get a similar idea in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 2. But if you would, um, we're going to skip that one and just turn over to Colossians, please. Uh, because this is probably the clearest, fullest passage on this beautiful reality. And we'll just read two of the verses from Colossians chapter 1. For by him, that is Christ, verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things 
were created through Christ and for Christ. And Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So it says there in verse 16, for, for by him all things were created. You could also say, for in Christ all things were created. This is who he is. He is the one that brings about all that God the Father has to, to share with this cosmos. It comes through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one through whom God's creation bursts forth. And he is the one who holds it all together. And that is worth us meditating on, right? I mean, look at this beautiful world round about here that all things are held together in Christ. So John introduces us to Jesus as fully divine, secondly, as fundamental and powerful in God's creating work, and finally, as the source of all life. Let's read verse four of John one. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is going to be a very big theme of John's as we journey through this letter. We've already seen from his sort of mission statement in chapter 20. He says he's written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God and that in believing you may have life in his name. He's, he's getting this before us straight away. And no other Bible book is going to raise this before us more than John, that Jesus is the source of, he's the giver of life. And this life that Jesus has and shares is described here in John 1 as the light of men, or as the NIV puts it, the light of all mankind. Such, such beautiful words. I tell you, when we read this gospel, it's just going to be so precious. Very different to Luke, which we studied maybe nine years ago or something like that. John just has a very different way of putting things in such beautiful language. Jesus, uh, Jesus brings life, which is the light of all mankind. He's saying that as Jesus draws us to himself and makes us alive in him, he brings in that moment spiritual illumination. He offers us to know this reality deep within us. So if you would turn over a few chapters to chapter 12, uh, verse 35 of John chapter 12, we, we, we read this. Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. You see, this life in Jesus is light for all mankind. And as that life in Christ is shared with this world of darkness as light for all mankind, we have a part to play in that. That's what Jesus is getting at in John chapter 12, that you may become, believe in the light, that you may become sons and daughters of light. We see this also in, in chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. 
And this is what John is getting at in verse 5 here, where he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is such a powerful message of hope for us, isn't it? No matter how dark this world is, Jesus' life blazes out, unconquerable, unhideable, undefeatable. And in that, that life was the light of men. We are drawn in to this uh, reality of the beautiful light of life that shines forth from the very heart of God. So I said that we would end all these messages with, well, I, I'm sure we're not going to end them all like this, but I'm ending this one like this. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe in his divine oneness with God? Do you believe in his awesome creating power and sustaining power to hold this cosmos together? Do you believe in his illuminating life? In believing that, dear friend, receive his life today, this week, forevermore. And one way I would just suggest that you could do that would be to take these aspects of who Jesus is and turn them into questions with regard to where he has put you in your normal day-to-day life for this week. So for example, you could say, Jesus, you are God. Jesus, what does it look like for me right now, wherever I am, to bow before you and acknowledge your lordship, acknowledge your reign, acknowledge you as the God of this world and the Lord of my life. What issue do you need to submit to God? What sorrow do you need to bring to him today? What sin do we need to bring in repentance before him? What dream and hope do you have that you come and you say, Jesus, you're God. I bring this before you. Is this of you? Is this aligned with the wonder of who you are? I want to honor you in these things, God. That's the first thing. Secondly, you could say, Jesus, all things are made through you. What are you building around me today? God's still at work. This, the grass is still growing. His church is still going forth to the nations. You say, God, what are you building around me today? As I find myself in you, what of your kingdom, what of your goodness, what of your beauty can I bring in your name? What are you chasing after this week? What are you building? We're all building something, right, with our lives. You say, God, thank you that you're at work. You're building something beautiful, Jesus. All things are made through you. Without you, there's nothing made that's made. Thank you, God. What can I partner with you in that would share with this world something of the goodness of who you are? And then finally, Jesus, in you is life. Life that lights up the world. God, where is your life springing up around about me today? How can my life be used as a way to reflect the splendor of your life-giving light to shine the glory of Christ. How, God, will you use me this week? Do you believe that Jesus 
is the Christ, the Son of God. In believing, no life in his name. This week, I pray, let's, let's bow our heads before God. Lord, we pray that you might grant us an excitement and uh, an earnest um, anticipation of these next months when we will uh, focus in week by week on the wonder of who Jesus Christ is. I pray that we would see him as your chosen, anointed savior of this world. I pray that we would see him not just as a clever man, but as the son of God. And Lord, I pray that you would bring new life among us. God, we were praying at the elders on Tuesday just for a new season in the life of our church. As we come to this moment, Lord, I pray that life would spring up around about us. New life in ministry, new life in salvation, new life in hope and healing, new life and, and freedom from depression and, and struggles and captivity and things that have weighed us down. God, we ask that your life would burst forth. Thank you that, that, that all things are made through you. Thank you that you are at work. Thank you that through Christ we see the work and the heart of the Father in heaven. And God, I just ask that you would do wonderful things among us in your church in this world. But yes, Lord, here in Hillview Community Church, may we know as we believe in Jesus, as we're shaped by that reality, may we know wonderful realities of your life springing up around about us. Lord God, go with us this week. Lead us and show us what it looks like for us to posture ourselves before you, full of wonder, full of amazement, and full of joy that you're with us, that you're in us, that you're working through us. Do something awesome, we pray in Jesus' name.